Hey everybody, welcome to the Bigger Insights Privacy and Security Podcast. This episode is the second and final part of 12 considerations for opening your next account. If you haven't yet listened to part one, if you could go ahead and just do that, that would be great. We decided to record this episode today, so naturally all of my neighbors decided now would be the best time to fire up the old lawnmowers, leaf blowers, chainsaws, and wood chippers, so hopefully the noise doesn't bother you guys. Alright, let's do a quick recap to make sure we're all on the same page. Making an account, which we're really just referring to handing over any kind of personally identifiable information to a third party via an app or service, usually comes with risks and irreversible side effects that you should be mindful of before you open any new accounts. That could be revealing sensitive information that you can't take back, getting your data leaked in a data breach, your irreplaceable data being deleted or taken away from you, etc. All right, let's get into it. Consideration number seven. It can be very difficult or impossible to close an account. One of the consistent themes that people are having a hard time picking up on is how permanent handing over your information can be. If you've ever done what I've done, which is close hundreds of accounts, you'll discover the hard way that some entities either won't let you delete your account or data at all, or they just put up so many barriers that you give up and just not close your account. Another thing that we see that really grinds our gears is a lot of apps and services will only allow you to close your account if you're a California resident and you can fill out a CCPA request. But as far as they're concerned, everyone else can go pound sand. Which, by the way, pro tip, avoid companies that make it difficult or impossible to cancel your subscription or delete your account like the plague. This is a red flag that's practically 100% consistent with garbage companies. Let's go over some examples. Let's compare NordVPN to ProtonVPN, for example. Now, we like ProtonVPN, but if you want to delete your Proton account, you log in, you go to account settings or whatever they call it, there's a little red button that says something like delete my account or close my account or something like that. You press that, it's just a few clicks from there, and then you're done. Now, if you contrast that with NordVPN, at least last time we checked in 2022, they make you fill out a customer service request form with something like six to eight pieces of information on it, including payment details, just to ask them to close your account. They could obviously just put a button in your account like Proton does, but they don't want to do that because they know their service is inferior and they want to do what they can to discourage you from leaving. And along those lines, NordVPN does a lot of other things that we don't like or agree with, so we'll probably talk about that in a future episode. Webroot, which is an antivirus company, does the same thing. If you want to close your account, what you do is you go on their website, you log into your account, and then there's a link to a customer service request form And they also ask you about six pieces of information, including your credit card information, 
just to close your account. We read somewhere on Intuit's website that they claim that they do not allow customers to close their accounts, which I don't know if that's just old or what, but I'm about 95% certain that I have deleted an Intuit account in the past, so I'm not quite sure what they're talking about there. We've also deleted Instasham accounts before, but that was a pretty frustrating process because we actually had to do, you know, a fair bit of web searching to figure out just where the link is to do that. I think it's like buried in their help documentation or something really strange like that. I remember specifically that I did a web search like how to delete an Instasham account and pretty much all of the search results that came up on DuckDuckGo were how to delete an Instasham post. So it took me a while, but eventually I found an article that showed where they hid this feature where you can request that they delete your account. And again, this is another company that we have a lot of problems with and we really don't like. And, you know, like I said, this is a major red flag that's very consistent with these companies. They want to do what they can to prevent you from leaving. That's a very bad sign because if they provided you with a great product or service that really served you, they wouldn't care. They would let you do whatever you want because at the end of the day, why would you want to leave anyway if it was good? Consideration number eight, many services will be breached. Now to be conservative, we like to assume that everyone's going to get breached at some point. So we think of this more as a question of when, not if. So when you're making an account, you should think critically about what information you're providing and what information they're collecting about you, like your IP address, for example, and think about what that would mean for you if they got breached and that information became open to the public. The conclusion we draw from that is you should give non-personally identifiable information when you can. You obviously need to be careful about doing that because certain entities like banks, insurance companies, utilities, and government accounts will require your real information. But even in that case, you can still do things like not provide optional information, use a second phone number that isn't publicly known to be yours, or give them an email alias. In that case, if they do get breached, some of your real information will probably be exposed, but you can at least reduce the damage with some of these techniques. But most other things like games and forums and whatnot, they really don't need to know your real information, so don't give it to them. And like I said, you should probably assume that any service that you use will get breached at some point, so you need to be very careful about what information you expose to them. It's very clear to us that a lot of people aren't getting it because every time we see some adult site or something sensitive like that that gets breached, there's a lot of panic from users who seem to be under the impression that their data would always be kept private. Let's go over some examples. I was reviewing a long list of data breaches a little while ago when I came across a site with a name that caught my eye. I'm not going to say what it was because we're trying to keep this friendly to younger audience members, 
But when I saw the name, I thought to myself, I can only think of one thing that this name can mean. Please tell me that this isn't what I think it is. So I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it was indeed what I thought it was. It was some kind of adult fetish site, but the point is that they got breached and leaked their users' information. This is not the kind of extracurricular activity that you want associated with your identity, but I'd bet that if you were to contact these users, they'd probably be pretty upset and surprised that this happened. I'll give you another example. Ashley Madison. This is marketed as a dating service for married people to have affairs, so obviously something that you would want to keep private. It is still around, surprisingly, but they got hacked several years ago, I think in 2015. The hackers held their company and user data hostage. I'm pretty sure that they wanted them to shut down for ethical reasons or something like that. Naturally, Ashley Madison refused to do that, so the hackers publicly dumped all of that data. And as you might imagine, this was a real disaster for a lot of their users. I mean, first of all, who wants to be known as someone who's interested in having an affair? Your spouse obviously won't appreciate that, but that's just not a good look in general. Researchers have poured through this data and discovered things like business emails, military emails, users including TV stars, politicians, church members, and so on. And this is a big deal for a lot of these people. I mean, first of all, at least from what I've read, infidelity is a big issue in the military. I think you can actually be punished for that. So yeah, don't use your military, business, or government email address for personal things in general let alone for something like a dating site for cheating on your spouse. This is just OPSEC 101. And if you think that I'm just blowing this out of proportion, just be aware some users have literally taken their own lives as a result of this data breach. And from what I've read recently, Ashley Madison users caught up in this data breach are still being blackmailed by bad actors who have access to this data all these years later. So just let that sink in for a minute. Data breaches have literally resulted in people getting divorced, getting fired, and in their deaths. So when we say take this stuff seriously, we're not just being hyperbolic. If you haven't been paying attention, you might not realize how pervasive this problem actually is. I'm gonna list off just a few data breaches, and we would bet that this exposes potentially sensitive information about everybody listening to this episode. Feces book, LinkedIn, MySpace, Equifax, Experian, Anthem, and even the IRS have all had data breaches. Those are just a few out of the thousands of data breaches that have occurred over the past few years, and that includes literally billions of people. And I hate to say it, but we're of the opinion that this problem is just getting started. You might be aware that ransomware is becoming very popular, but you might not realize how it has evolved. Ransomware used to just be an annoyance. It would lock your files indefinitely until you paid. However, ransomware purveyors have learned that a lot of people just don't pay. 
and either do without their data or restore from backups. So what a lot of ransomware does now these days is it steals the data first and then encrypts it. So if you refuse to pay, the additional threat now is that your data will be exposed online. Now that might just be internal company data, but there's a good chance that some of that data will be your information. Many entities have such poor security practices that all it takes is one employee opening an infected email attachment to get the company infected with ransomware. So we're very concerned about this and we believe that almost every account that you have will be involved in a data breach at some point in the future. All right, consideration number nine, deleting your data might not actually delete your data. When you're using an app or a service that has your data, like photos, videos, or emails, and you delete them, do you ever wonder to yourself whether they're actually being deleted or if they're just being hidden from you? Well, we wonder that as well, and we tell our clients to be skeptical about this. So if you're using a service that has direct access to your photos, emails, or other data, just be mindful of the risk that they might not actually be deleting your data from their servers when you delete them from the user interface. Let me share some examples with you. So a number of years ago, Dropbox users started reporting an issue where they were seeing files reappear in their Dropbox account that they had deleted literally years ago. Now, Dropbox claims that this was just a bug or something like that, which it might be, but at the end of the day, it proves that people thought that when they were deleting their files from Dropbox, that they weren't actually being deleted, and this is a risk that you need to be aware of. I was talking to a client last year, and he told me that out of the blue one day, he went into one of his email accounts and literally thousands of emails that he's been deleting over the past year or so mysteriously reappeared back in his inbox. And these were not emails that, you know, just moved from the trash folder to the inbox folder. These are emails that were supposed to be gone and deleted. I'll give you another example. I deleted a photo bucket account a while ago. I opened it like 20 years ago or something. And and yes, it, it does still exist in case you're wondering, but I deleted my account and they told me that my account and my information was deleted. So just for kicks, I decided to go back into the site and do a password reset to see if that was in fact true. So they sent me an email that said something like, hello, Bob, you know, my name's not really Bob, but they said my real name in this email. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how do you know my name if you deleted my account and data? And, you know, if you look this up online, you'll find tons of examples like this. So the point of this consideration is just assume that whatever information you hand out to companies like this, they're not going to delete it. Even if they say that it's deleted, it's probably not. It might still be sitting on their server somewhere. This is a very frustrating issue that can cause a lot of problems. For example, I used to have a LastPass account, which I deleted years ago because we really don't like that service and we think that people should ditch it for KeePass or Bitwarden. 
we have a separate podcast episode and blog post for that, which we published a while back. So you can check that out if you're interested. But the email address that I was using with my LastPass account was unique to that service. So after I deleted my LastPass account, I deleted that email address as well. So after that happened, LastPass got hacked and they leaked some user data and their vaults. So what I'm worried about now is that, let's just say, for example, and I don't know if this happened, I'm not saying that this happened, but if it was the case that LastPass didn't actually delete my information like they said that they would, and my information was caught up in this data breach, they wouldn't have any way to contact me. So I wouldn't even know that my information is in this data breach. I have also had my information exposed in a data breach that one of my former employers experienced. They sent me a letter in the mail explaining what happened, but the most disturbing part about this is I hadn't worked for this company in over 10 years, but they were still passing my information around insecurely more than a decade later. That just goes to show you how permanent sharing your information can be. Consideration number 10, two-factor authentication contact information abuse. Have you ever opened an account and went through the security settings and came across the two-factor authentication section and noticed something kind of interesting? There's only one option, and that's SMS. This is a very common problem, but have you ever stopped and wondered why so many apps and services do this? We are of the opinion that they do this so that they can collect your phone number and use it to identify who exactly you are and start linking your other accounts and other systems together and sharing your information with those systems. Now, that might sound kind of tinfoil hat for some of you, but just keep a few things in mind. One of them is those little short code phone numbers that these companies are using to send out those notifications are very, very expensive. I couldn't believe it when I saw it, and I apologize if I'm not remembering this correctly, but a little while ago, I was in the AWS website because you can pay for an SMS service in AWS where they'll give you a, a short code phone number like this, and it was thousands of dollars per month. So if you don't believe me when I say that they're giving you SMS as the only option so that they can identify and creep on you, let me ask you this. Why would they do this? Why would they pay thousands of dollars a month for a short code phone number to send you your 2FA codes, which by the way, SMS is extremely insecure and it's expensive. Why would they do this when they could do something like TOTP practically for free? You know, also consider that Twitter was sued. I'm pretty sure that they were sued in a class action lawsuit for doing this. So when users were setting up 2FA on Twitter, they were, you know, obviously giving Twitter their phone number and Twitter was using this for their targeted advertising. We've caught Trello doing this as well. If you're not familiar with Trello, it's like a productivity app that's, it's actually pretty popular. It's owned by Atlassian now, but you might've heard of this in one of our other episodes, but I remember one day they sent out an email and said that 
they added two-factor authentication, and the only option that they provided was SMS. And then sometime after that, I found out that Trello was sending, you know, what appeared to be a tremendous amount of information over to Feces Book. And I know for a fact that a lot of companies do this with certain identifiers. You know, they can't just send bulk raw data to Feces Book. They want to send it data that's tied to a specific identity. And how do they do that? You might be wondering because, you know, at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who have the same name. So that's not very reliable. They use things like phone numbers, email addresses, and other identifiers that are unique to a person to link their accounts and activities together. So for this consideration, just be aware that if you're using an app or service and they provide SMS as one of, if not the only two-factor authentication option, you should really think twice about giving them your phone number, especially if it's a service that doesn't need to know who you are. If it's an account that you know, doesn't really have your personal information anyway and, is, and isn't that important to you, like it's a, a game form or something, you know, we would strongly suggest considering just not turning on two-factor authentication if they're only going to give you SMS as an option. You know, if you use something like an email alias that no one's ever seen before and a very strong password, that's going to be quite secure. And if that's going to be a problem for you for one reason or another, we would strongly suggest that you just consider, you know, choosing an alternative that doesn't have this problem. Because this might not sound like a big deal to you, but we see this as a red flag. If a company is only going to give you SMS as your two-factor authentication option, we're of the opinion that they're probably doing other things behind the scenes with your data that you wouldn't agree with. And Trello is a perfect example of that. You know, you're giving them your phone number and you think that all you're doing is making yourself more secure, but basically what you're doing is opening the door for them to send your private information like what you're writing into Trello over to a creepy company like Feces Book. Consideration number 11. Be mindful of the potential of your usernames revealing more information about you than you realize and being used to link your accounts together. You know, in addition to just Google or DuckDuckGo or start page search results or something, there are websites out there where you can type in people's usernames and see, you know, in some cases, dozens or hundreds of websites and apps and services that they use because they can see that those accounts are registered to your username. Now, if somebody's trying to dox you or harass you or breach your accounts or something like that, this can be a very useful tool. So we recommend to our clients that they use unique usernames where they can. Just sit down sometime and take a look at your usernames and try to see how others will interpret them. What information are you revealing about yourself? What might others assume about you from your username? Let me give you some examples. And I'm completely making this username up, so I apologize if this is a real person. But let's suppose that your username is SoccerGirl93. What might we assume about the person behind this username 
They are a girl who likes or plays soccer and was born in 1993, right? So that might not sound like a big deal to you, but if someone has Soccer Girl 93's information, they might want to do something like harass her or raid her bank accounts. This information could be used to identify her and gather more information about her to make those attacks possible. So for example, if an attacker needs to know her birthday to breach one of her accounts, he would assume that the year is 1993 and might be able to use that information to get the day and month from another source like Feces Book, for example. But security risks aside, what about simple misinterpretation? There was a funny scene on The Office where Michael Scott was choosing a username for a a dating site or something like that. And if I recall correctly, I believe he was in a phase in his life where he really wanted to have kids. So he ended up settling on the username Little Kid Lover, which is pretty hilarious because, you know, if you're on a dating site and you see some guy and his username is Little Kid Lover, you know, there's obviously different ways of interpreting just exactly what that means. And just as another example, which I acknowledge is not exactly a username, but is still relevant, I saw this report on the news many years ago about some lady's license plate. I don't remember the exact spelling, but it was it was something like I-L-U-V-T-O-F-U. It must have been a slow news day or something because I don't understand how people can be this sensitive over something so trivial, but it was made into a news story because people were interpreting that and getting upset as saying, I love to F you. But the lady who owned the car said that it it meant I love tofu. You see what I mean? So when you choose a username or an email address, just make sure it isn't either revealing sensitive information or is at risk of being misinterpreted as something that you wouldn't want. To address both of these concerns, we recommend just using random letters and numbers for your usernames and email addresses, but we would caution that you should only do this if you're using a good password manager so that you don't have to remember them all. And the final thing that we'll say on this consideration is that if you're still not taking this one seriously, Just be aware that many apps and services make profile information public by default. I'm not going to say what it was, but I did a web search some time ago for some of the old usernames that I used to use and was pretty shocked to see that some stupid app that one of my exes had me join many, many years ago had made my account public for years without my knowledge. I obviously deleted that, but just be aware that this is quite common these days because app developers use this for SEO and to make their app appear like it's the the hip and happening place where all the cool kids are, despite the fact that this can be very damaging and dangerous for their users. Also keep in mind that some of these systems where you have things like friends lists or people you follow or whatever, if they have a tool where you can export your data, sometimes that data can include 
email address or other contact information for you or the people in your contact list, even if they're not exposing that on their profile. If you have a LinkedIn account, there is actually an explicit setting where you can either enable or disable letting your email address be included in other people's data downloads. I don't remember what the default option is. I think it might be allowed by default, but you know, you might not want anybody to know what email address you're using for your LinkedIn account, but be aware that if this is turned on for you, when somebody in their contacts list dumps their data from LinkedIn, that could include your email address, even though you're not exposing it to them directly through your profile. I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that Feces book does the same thing. The 12th and final consideration, which I'll admit is a bit more of an edge case than the others, is that password recovery and other features of certain websites and services can be used to reveal information about you. I've seen numerous websites that will, for example, show an error message like, this user does not exist when you type in an email address or username that's not registered, but they won't say anything if the user is registered, which implies that the user is in fact registered there. This is pretty niche, but this is a technique that bad actors can use to try to identify if you have an account somewhere for one reason or another. You know, that could be blackmail or that could be trying to breach your accounts or something like that. Let's just say, for example, that your neighbor had a problem with you and he knows what email address that you use for everything. Well, if he types that into Ashley Madison and it reveals that you have an account there, he could then use that to rat you out to your spouse or try to get you fired or something like that. So, you know, like I said, this is pretty niche, but the lesson here is again, use unique email addresses and usernames to make it more difficult for people to exploit you. All right, so to start wrapping this up, let's go over some action items. The first being, be very stingy about opening new accounts. If you don't need it, consider just not opening it. Every account that you open introduces some level of risk. Even if you're not giving them sensitive information, you still need to account for the fact that they might be collecting information from you, whether you like it or not. That could be your browsing habits, you know, what you look at, what you click on, what your IP address is, what kind of devices and browsers you're using, what their fingerprints are. There's all kinds of information that an app or service might be able to collect that you might not even be aware of. We're probably going to be doing an episode on this in the future, but digital minimalism is your friend. Feces book, Instasham, and TikTok are not your friends. There's a growing body of evidence that people are being overwhelmed by technology, which can have a detrimental impact on their mental health, productivity, career, and relationships. So even if you don't care about the privacy and security implications that we've discussed in this episode, abstaining from opening new accounts that you don't really need can do you a lot of good on this front as well. And in addition to that, 
account maintenance is a real thing and it can be extremely time consuming. You know, if you've ever been involved in a data breach or you just want to change your phone number or email address for one reason or another, think about how time consuming that can be to go through, you know, dozens or hundreds of accounts to update your information. It's kind of like you don't realize how much crap you have until you need to move. And then all of a sudden you've got like closets just absolutely full of junk that take you a day to sort through. You know, it's the same thing with your accounts. If you pile up, you know, hundreds of accounts over the years, just keep in mind that maintenance is a real thing, which will consume a lot of your time if you're keeping up with things. Just take LastPass users, for example. You know, LastPass got breached and the vaults of their users got stolen by hackers. So what all of those users should be doing is going through every account that's in their LastPass vault and changing their password at a minimum. For me personally, I've got over 400 passwords that I manage. Could you imagine how much time it would take to update all of them because of something like a data breach? Now, that's a problem that I signed up for to some degree, but what I'm doing is I'm practicing what I preach and I'm being very stingy about opening new accounts. I just, I just simply will not do it anymore unless there's a very good reason. We also recommend that you be very selective about what information you share. If someone doesn't need a piece of information, don't give it to them. It's that simple. I was at the doctor's with someone once. They told me that they were going to take a picture of the patient, which I wasn't very comfortable with. So I asked, what for? And the nurse could tell that I wasn't very happy about it. So she said something like, oh, it's just for a, a profile picture, but you don't need to do it if you don't want to. So I said something like, yeah, let's go ahead and not do that. And you know, I hate saying this because I don't want to live in a world where you need to be protective of your information, but it is what it is. You need to be proactive about protecting your information because no one else will, and it will be used and abused at some point in the future if you don't protect it. And, you know, just because an app or service asks for things like your name, date of birth, gender, and so on, that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to give them accurate information. You know, does My Little Pony or whatever account you have really need to know your real date of birth? I, I don't think so. Does your bank? Yes. And, you know, this is something that we help our clients with. We help them navigate these issues so that they know, you know, what's okay to do and what's not okay. So they can protect themselves from being a victim of, you know, creepy surveillance or a data breach or something like that. We'll go over this in more detail in a future episode, but consider using things like voice over IP numbers and email aliases to make it harder for people to identify you and correlate your accounts and activities. And if a phone number is optional, consider not providing one in the first place. Also consider choosing random usernames and email addresses to avoid revealing any information about you and reduce the fallout from a data breach. All right, that wraps it up for this episode. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned because we're working on a follow-up episode called Finding, Sanitizing, and Closing Accounts. 
because you might want to do some cleaning up of your digital footprint after hearing some of the things that we discussed in this episode. Be sure to share this podcast with others so that they can get this message and protect themselves as well. And finally, consider becoming a Bigger Insights client. We help clients like you live more private and secure lives by helping them navigate and mitigate these kinds of issues in one-on-one sessions. If that sounds interesting to you, go to our website, biggerinsights.com, and fill out the short form at the bottom of the page so we can schedule your initial consultation. All right, everybody, thank you for staying until the end. Be mindful of what accounts you open and what data you share and stay safe out there.